0: Hey, everybody, my name is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number one of the Mandolins and Beer Podcast. (laughs) Welcome to episode number one, everybody, the Mandolins and Beer Podcast debut episode. I am stoked. Guest number one, David Benedict, Mr. Mandolin Mondays. If you're not familiar with him, you probably don't go to the Mandolin Cafe. He has a video series that's been going for a few years that's featured on the front page of the Mandolin Cafe, and it's incredible. Uh, It started off with just him doing all these great videos, and then as he got busy, he started posting other players, incredible players as well doing some videos. So be sure to check those out. Make sure, A, you go to David Benedict's social media, Instagram, Facebook, go to his website. Um, Great guy. Just to give you an idea of how great of a guy he is, is he responded really quickly to the email when I asked him if he'd be interested in doing the podcast. And when he mentioned the time, I expected him to get back to me and be like, yeah, I can do it in a couple weeks. And he responded and then was like, hey, how about Friday? and I had an appointment Friday morning and I was like, "Ah, oh, I can't do Friday." He's like, "Well, I'm flying to France to play some gigs. How about earlier on Friday?" And for a musician to offer an earlier time, any time is amazing. And then when I finally get him on the phone, he's at a camp. He's been teaching at a camp and he's taking the time to do this podcast between teaching at the camp playing some gigs with his band, and then flying to France to play festivals. So David, I can't thank you enough. Be sure to go and check him out. His CDs are fantastic. His band, Mile 12, is fantastic. Go see them live, buy their stuff, follow them online. Speaking of following online, I have a website, mandolinsandbeer.com. On there, you can find some things to support this podcast, such as t-shirts, stickers, and koozies. And also, I have uh, some Lick of the Day licks that I had from a while ago. Uh, I think I did 189 of them and posted them on social media. And that was before I was playing five to eight gigs a week here in Charleston, South Carolina, which keeps me pretty busy. And speaking of that, if you're in Charleston, South Carolina, you can see me every Tuesday on Folly Beach at the Washout. Every Thursday at Dockery's, which is a uh, killer brewery and restaurant on Daniel Island. They're actually brewing a mandolins and beer. Beer. More details about that coming up. That's pretty exciting stuff. And then every Saturday and Sunday morning, you can catch me doing a bluegrass-ish brunch. I say ish because it's not always straight bluegrass. Um, and that's at Prohibition downtown on King Street, uh, 11 to 2 every Saturday and Sunday. And it's that's a great place. And actually, Gina Furtado, 2019 IBMA Banjo Player of the Year nominee, joined us this Sunday, and it was a, a real good time. So... Real quick here before we get to David, just a, just an idea of what I'm trying to do with this podcast. I just want everybody to kind of get to know the people behind the mandolin, these people we listen to. They're, it's, they're, they're great. They're such nice people. It's a great community. They're gracious with their time, and I want to pick their minds a little bit about mandolin, and uh, hopefully we can all learn a little bit something and something new. is is for all levels of people who are listening to this, so I hope you enjoy it. If you have suggestions about who you want to hear on the podcast or maybe a beer I could drink when having these conversations or editing the podcast or anything else, you can drop me a note from mandolinsandbeer.com and go to the contact page. There's a real easy spot there. I'm also starting up a Patreon page, which should be live here in just a few more days, and I'll have the link on the website as well. And what I'm going to do with that. One question that I ask all the guests is if they had 10 minutes a day to work on something, what would they work on? And then I'm going to take that suggestion and kind of come up with a way for that to be applied with a video and some tabs for some people who want to try and work that stuff out. And some other things as well I'll have on there as uh, warm-up examples, ways to get to know the neck, and all that good stuff. All right, and finally, real quick, before we get to David, I've got a Spotify playlist started, the Mandolins and Beer Spotify playlist. If you just type in Mandolins and Beer playlist, go to that. You'll be able to hear all the songs we discuss in full. I'm going to do it for every guest. Next week's guest, Tristan Scroggins. Great guy, great conversation. And finally, please subscribe to the podcast. Whatever platform you're on, it's probably one quick button. Takes just a few seconds to do. and means a lot to me. All right, and thanks for checking this out. So here we go, people. Mandolin's a beer podcast number one. And now I'd like to welcome to the podcast Mr. Mandolin Mondays himself and one of my favorite mandolin players, Mr. David Benedict. David, how are you?
1: I'm doing great, Daniel. How about you?
0: Doing great, man. Thank you so much for taking the time. And you're at a camp, you said, currently?
1: Yeah, yeah. So me and my band Mile 12, we've been teaching at a string camp called Ospie valley up in maine and it's been a real beautiful week we just kind of finished up the camp and the camp turns into a festival so we're playing a set here at the festival today and um, just hanging out with some of the great musicians who've been coming through here got like joe walsh also teaching mandolin and um lauren ryu on fiddle grant gordy's been doing guitar stuff so Danny Barnes, even on the banjo, we've had a a ball just kind of like all getting together, playing music together in different settings. Oh man, that's awesome. Yeah. Grant Gordy's what a great guitar player. Yeah, absolutely. We've been running into him a lot. We've been doing some of these camps, um, this summer and, and last summer as well. And he seems to get around in the flat picking world. Um, just, you know, his name precedes him. He's an amazing guitar player and thinks about it in a way that not a whole lot of players do, which is really cool. That's awesome. And, and speaking of your band,
0: Mile Twelve, we were just talking before this. The IBMA Awards have the final the final ballot has come out, and you guys have been nominated for Album of the Year and New Artist of the Year. You were saying?
1: That's right. Yeah, we're really excited. Um, we uh, have this this new record is called City on a Hill. It came out back in March, and um, we got to work with Brian Sutton. Uh, as producer for that record, which was a huge thing for us, he's a big hero of ours as well, another yeah. monster flat picker. And, um, you know, we just listened to his music from a very young age. know, I remember hearing that Not All Who Wonder or Lost record that Chris Dealey did, and oh, yeah. not even really knowing who the guitar player was at that point. And then, you know, through that record, just getting to really fall in love with his whole catalog of, of recorded work out there. So it was special getting to work with him in person, and he was such a great um, uh, team member to have in the studio just to really help direct us and make sure everything was sounding as, as best as it could. And um, yeah, really proud of how that record turned out and um, feels really good to have that nomination under our belt as well. feels like a, a good um, confirmation there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's Well, congratulations. I mean, well-deserved, well well-deserved well deserved recognition. So the album is, is is great. And actually, I've got notes here to talk about that. But before we do that, like anybody who might not be familiar with you, um, and I, I don't know how many people that would be because you have the Mandolin Monday segment that you've been doing for a few years that's so popular and, and inspiring in the mandolin world. But if anybody by chance is listening to this that doesn't know who David Benedict is, how about just a real quick little, a real quick bio about you here?
1: Yeah, totally. So I I'm gonna play the mandolin and um and I I guess I've been playing for about 13, 14 years now. I grew up in South Carolina, this place called Clemson, and only got into music kind of closer to the end of high school and um, went to a few camps, kind of like what we're at here this week. I remember going to the Mandolin Symposium, which was a an amazing camp that happened over in California just for mandolin players. You know, David Grisman and Mike Marshall kind of headed that up, and um, was really inspired by that experience, and um, just started playing with different people. There was an Irish band in my hometown that I I kind of started sitting in with, and then played more full time with for a little bit, not as a as a career necessarily, but just as a uh, you know an experience making music together with other people. And I decided I wanted to do more and wanted to learn more so I, I found a college outside of chattanooga tennessee that was willing to let me use the mandolin kind of as my main instrument for performance oh, degree that is awesome yeah so well it hadn't really been done before or done since probably but um uh they were yeah kind enough to help curate a few classes for me to, to build a curriculum that was pretty unique to my own you know my own degree here and um yeah, that's one kind of the fun thing about it was I got to work with this guy named Matt Flinner, who is one of my heroes. And um, yeah, he's he's been a huge mentor to me over the past few years. It still is even. Um, but I got to take lessons from him for maybe about, about three years when I was in college there. And through that experience, he produced this first record that I did called "Into the True Country." Back, I forget now. It was maybe like 2013 or something like that. And um, yeah, so that was a that was a great experience. Worked with like Ross Martin, who also plays in that Matt Flinner trio, and Sam Grisman was playing bass, and Christian settlemeyer on fiddle, and BB is that, who's actually the banjo player in Mount Twelve before. 12 got started we got to work together on that record as well and, oh nice um so that was i was kind of like my first foray into the the recorded world which was you know a pretty daunting uh you know experience but it was really fun <laughs> yeah. and really exciting to so get to see all these tunes that i've been writing kind of come to life in a, in a way i had not imagined before it's, I, um, I moved up to Nashville for a few years and um, started to get my feet on the ground doing music more as a profession and um, I learned so much there's a, a great place to be and so much music goes on <laughs> like every every Tuesday night you know you can go to a jam and hang out with Dave Greer or um, you know any a number of other amazing bluegrass musicians um, so just being around that uh, environment is so inspiring and and uh, I learned a lot just from going out and playing. But uh, one of my one of my favorite things about living in Nashville is getting to play with this band, Missy Rains and the New Hip. Oh, yeah. Um, and Missy Rains is an amazing bass player. She's won, like, IBMA Bass Player of the Year, like, 20-something times or something like that. Um, and she has this band. Um, it's not really a band so much anymore. She has a more of a different outfit now. But back in the day, New Hip was... This alternate alternate rock kind of band where the instrumentation was an upright bass and a full drum kit, electric guitar, and they also had a mandolin. And so I got to fill that role for a couple of years, which is you know a lot different than what I was used to growing up playing in more acoustic sounding bands. Well, and your chop is your chop area
0: is taken by a snare drum, <laughs> right? <laughs> it would, yeah, free, yeah. It kind of frees you up though to be a little bit more, um, a little bit more inventive and and you know, think outside of the box, I would imagine.
1: Definitely, man. You have a, you have kind of a little bit more freedom, and also you just have space to be creative in, in ways that aren't necessarily conventional, which is, you know, maybe a little bit, um, I don't know, a little bit unsettling at first, but it can also be pretty exciting and pretty freeing just to get to explore on your instrument in a different way like that. So it was something that I, I really um learned a lot from as well, getting to go out on the road and kind of get my feet on the ground that way. Um, hadn't really you know toured a whole lot before then and uh, it's you know a different lifestyle being out on the road. you gotta kind of um, learn the different ways of uh, survival out there in the jungle. oh like, man the touring universe
0: yeah trying try to find a s- sometimes yeah
1: sleep, eat decently, uh, even a little decently
0: uh, trying to practice. <laughs> it's-
1: yeah, exactly. It's hard. It's like you're trying to live a normal life in these really unnormal circumstances. But um, I think we've we've grown to appreciate it still and figure out kind of a system that helps us get through it. Um, but yeah, so after playing with Missy, that's when I, I got the offer to join Mile 12 and move up to Boston to, to play with them. And uh, they were a four-piece bluegrass band for a couple of years before they asked me to join and they were looking for a mandolin player and you know i knew bb from that first record and just some of the other musicians from other workshops camps and festivals so they they came down to nashville to play a show and were staying at my apartment and um, asked me if i would be interested in joining and it just seemed like a really great opportunity because um, I don't know, i've always wanted to play in a band where it's kind of equal opportunity and everyone you know, has a say in shaping the music and shaping the business of, uh, of the band. And, um, you know, some of my favorite bands growing up were like, uh, the punch brothers or the infamous string dusters or, you know, folks like that where it's more of a unit where you're getting to make music at a really high level with other people and, um, really contribute to a bigger picture like that. Yeah. That's awesome. So, um, yeah, it was, it was great. I, uh, and I, I love them all as friends, too, and really enjoyed getting to hang out with them and play music in informal settings before the band. So it seemed like a really great opportunity that I didn't want to pass up. So I guess it was in 2017, at the beginning of the year, I moved up to Boston and, uh, and started playing with them full time, which has been a really cool experience just seeing a band grow from kind of a, a small level to a pretty big level now where we, I think we tour about like 120 shows a year. Oh, wow. That's awesome. We get to go to all sorts of different places too, like international trips. We're actually headed to France tomorrow. We're going to be flying out to France to play a couple festivals over there and um, teach another camp out there as well. So we stay pretty busy and um, getting to do more and more things that we want to do as well, which is a good feeling.
0: Yeah, man. Um,
1: And and, and getting... and
0: the, the reward of, of seeing your name on that final ballot of the IBMA seems like a a, a, pretty, a pretty amazing payoff for, for the journey so far.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Go IBMA the, has been a very supportive resource for us all, so we're really yeah. thankful. That's awesome. So, so going back, and it,
0: it, this is going to be a two-step process. Going back to what you were talking about earlier about going to camps and being around David Greer, and you mentioned you mentioned going to France. One of the reasons why I really wanted to do this podcast is because I think, especially coming from me, who you know, I was always so nervous to to talk to anybody because you know you're a beginner and you don't feel like you're you're very good. And what I, I a lot of people may not realize. Is that the, the bluegrass world is so friendly. Like you said, you can go to talk to like like a guy like David Girl, like you. I I I message you about doing this podcast, and you know, I'm thinking, oh, in a couple weeks he'll find some time to do a phone call and you're like, hey, how about Friday? You know, and I'm like, oh no, a Friday I can't. And I have an appointment. And then you're like, Well, how about earlier Friday? I'm like, i am like, who would do that? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's yeah. so nice, man. And and so, um, you know, going back to to the Mandolin Symposium, here's a young guy who's just really being drawn to the Mandolin. And I guess first off, what drew you to the Mandolin, and then maybe talk a little bit more about just the ability, like you're talking all these, like Mike Marshall and and Matt Flinner, and and the ability to learn from these people who who people might be intimidated by the fact, but it's such a great community that these people just wanna teach everybody to, to be the best they can be, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. Well, I definitely benefited from camps like this growing up because it is a, a a great format where you get to have personal interaction with people that you might think would be uh, out of reach or, you know, it might be intimidating to interact with them just because you love their music so much. Um, but just getting to sit with them in a group for an hour or two, learning different things about the instrument, you get to ask questions and um, you know kind of pick their brain about all sorts of things musically speaking and then throughout the week as well if it's a if it's a week-long camp you get to um see them kind of live their normal life as well you get to you know eat meals with them and um, maybe even get to jam with them in between classes Um, and everyone is really friendly like you said and it seems like especially for young players um, if 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 these instructors see young players with potential and with talent they're really excited to invest and to, you know, basically come around them and get them support just because we all want this music to keep going and um excited to see where these people will take it. Um so as a young young player, I, I definitely benefited from that as well. And um, remember going to that Mandolin Symposium and having Mike Marshall just talk with me one on one about like, you know, things I should be doing to keep getting better and um you know, what I should be doing as uh, next steps in my life. If I wanted to keep pursuing music, I remember sitting down with Don Sternberg for at lunch at one of those camps as well. And I was like, what does it take to be a full-time mandolin player? You know? And he's like, Oh, well, you could probably count all the full-time mandolin players on two hands. So it's a, it's a hard job, but, you know, but then he, he would give me some really helpful advice on, you know, things I should be doing to, to make that happen. Um, and yeah, I guess it's, it's something pretty special. I don't know of any other um, genre out there necessarily that, that has the same type of, of friendliness and the same type of um, community that you can just uh, reach out to and to, to grow in as well. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's a difficult thing trying to do this for a living just because it is a, a niche genre. But at the same time, that niche aspect of it makes it pretty special and makes it um in some ways a little bit easier just because you have a support system to to go through from the very beginning
0: hey everybody i hope you're enjoying the podcast so far um but now seemed like a good time to jump in as you just mentioned support if you'd like to support the mandolins and beer podcast you can go to the mandolins and beer website mandolinsandbeer.com and i've got t-shirts stickers and koozies on sale i've also got some coffee mugs coming as well Anyhow, I hope you're enjoying this. David's been great. Oh, and also, there's a Patreon page starting up as well. If you're not familiar with Patreon, you go on and subscribe, essentially, to the Patreon page, and for some donation amounts, you can get access to exclusive things like lessons, video lessons, uh, tablature, and different things that you can download, and that'll be updated. Anyway, let's get back to the podcast with David Benedict. So, what drew you to Mandolin?
1: Yeah, I think it was just... Um, I don't know. Maybe the unusual aspect of the instrument, or just kind of like the, um, you know, more specialized aspect where, um, you get to play both melody and chords. Um, just like the double string, uh, thing on on the instrument is just so different and so interesting that when I first saw it being played, uh thought it would be kind of a fun thing just to pick up i think i was maybe 12 or 13 at the time and you know definitely didn't really have any aspirations of doing this full time but um i started playing and kind of got hooked it's a it's a black hole sucky in you know, <laughs> yeah, know, yeah for sure of your life
0: um was there a, like uh a, i know you mentioned not i'll wander a loss but was there a a song or a cd for you that was kind of like the constant rotation like oh my gosh you just wore it out when you were when you were first starting to play
1: yeah totally there's several um yeah i think i first heard the mandolin on like that first nickel creek record when it came out somehow my dad got a hold of it and we listened to that a lot um and then through that like discovering the community around the mandolin uh really fell in love with mike marshall's playing and i remember that duo record that he did with with Chris Lee uh yeah. into the cauldron was a huge um huge record for me i definitely def- listened to that a lot and then the one that came out after that the live duets record i loved you more and um you know just um have that on in the background of my life uh, you know as a young teenager um I don't know, I, like, I've, I've been listening to a lot of different stuff over the, over the past few years, and um, Sam Bush has become, like, one of my huge heroes, and um, he uh, played with Bela Fleck on a couple of records, that one record that Bela did called Drive, yeah. has been probably one of the most influential records for me, and then also this one called The Bluegrass Sessions, which was kind of the follow-up record a, a few years later. Um, Both of those um, are just some some incredible works of new acoustic music and kind of uh, the standard for instrumental music and in the bluegrass world, I'd say now. Um, So I definitely point to those two, maybe above all the others. Yeah, that's awesome. Sam Bush is
0: like my uh, is like my my hero. I I, I, that guy's playing has been like so influential, and he seems like a great human as well. And I've got to meet him a few times, and he is. But then I saw that. Did you happen to catch that documentary that just came out?
1: Yeah, totally revival. Sorry. Yeah,
0: yeah. I was like, I didn't think I could like him anymore. And then you watch this documentary. I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) he's what a amazing person, and you know, just outstanding mandolin player. That guy's the great.
1: Yeah, he seems to be a real treasure, like as a as a person and as a player. Um, I've I've only gotten to play with him once. We did like a workshop at a festival last year, and um, he was just so generous with his time and really. Um, I, much like we we're saying with all the, the workshops, all the instructors, same is true with a lot of the the performers and even so the bigger acts who have gotten outside of bluegrass, like Sam. Um, you know, they they're just also. Um, Kind and so encouraging to to anyone uh, you know who's playing the music as well. And seems like they really want to help help people along their way to um, you know follow the path that they've followed for their through their lives. Yeah,
0: it's amazing. It's it's so funny that this generosity and influential thing keeps coming back. Cause I really like feel it. I tell everybody it when they talk about you know like mandolin. I'm like, oh my god, it's <laughs> it's the best. I mean, not only is it like just amazing to play and and, but the people are surrounding it the you know that you would listen to these people are genuinely seem like great people is there is there any uh influence is there a uh, a record or something somebody'd be surprised you know that maybe is outside the bluegrass realm that really uh influenced you or also got a lot of got a lot of play
1: uh yeah um i guess there's a few um funny enough like I remember the first record I ever got that I really listened to a lot as a young kid was the Vince Guaraldi Trio Charlie Brown Christmas record. I don't know <laughs> yeah. if you like,
0: uh I um as a matter of fact, my in my duo, we um we play that song, the uh oh, the uh, theme really song, fun. the Peanuts theme song. Um, we do that as acoustic and mandolin, and then we go into uh, another original that our guitar player wrote, but it fits perfect. Oh, that's and, and everybody loves it. You see everybody, you know, like once they realize what it is, that little peanut head not, you know, head bobbing thing, <laughs> they start yeah, doing man. that. So, yeah, yeah. Familiar. Yeah, with that definitely,
1: sure. man. That's I, awesome. I think I, I got that when I was still like in elementary school and um, long before I, I played the mandolin and um, I thought that about it, I think really helps inspire some inspiration inspires inspiration is that the right phrase <laughs> um no just like kind of got me listening to instrumental music and um maybe lay some foundation for what i do now um but some other stuff outside of the box i love um irish music just from from growing up playing some of that too and um john doyle is a huge hero of mine a guitar player um from ireland who i think lives in north carolina now oh no kidding um but he has this record called wayward son, which is, um, I guess kind of maybe a little bit of a crossover. It was maybe, I forget if Alison Brown produced it, uh, banjo player who owns compass records and has played with so many amazing bluegrass legends over the years, but she plays on it. And, um, so does Casey Driesen on fiddle, and a few other kind of more bluegrass leaning musicians. Um, so it's got a really powerful sound. Um, it kind of been some genres there as well, but Oh, awesome. Um, both, that's a—that's one of my favorites. I come back to that one again and again.
0: So, all this, as, as, as I want to kind of get into your, your your new Mile 12 album and the Golden Angle, which are both incredible, but you are talking a little bit about, you know, some of that advice that maybe Mike Marshall and and Don gave you what, um, if you had to take like the one piece of advice, mandolin playing wise, that's kind of stuck with you, maybe technique or, 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 playing or anything, what, what would you think the one that's kind of stuck with you that you still practice today that, you know, was given to you by one of these guys?
1: Um, I don't know. I saw uh, there's been a lot of really helpful pieces of advice along the way. Um, I think it was both Matt Flinner and Mike Marshall said that I should just learn every note that Sam Bush ever played. And <laughs> definitely like taking that to heart in some ways.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but uh, I think, yeah, I think it, it, mostly it's just people just saying, keep going. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of the most important thing because you, if there's, the more time you spend with your instrument, uh, the more you discover your own personal voice. and um you know the more opportunities you have and um i think like if you if you keep enjoying playing then um there's there's nothing that can hold you back in fact like if if you measure success by that way then you're like the, the most successful musician if you really enjoy what you do oh um, man for yeah. sure I, i'm I, dude i'm thankful every day like you know
0: like i have if you measure success and happiness is I think probably the, for me anyway, is a measure of success in the, in the fact that I wake up every morning and think like, you know, yeah, it might be 90 degrees outside today. I have to go play a gig outside, but I play a mandolin for a living. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like how rad is that? Like I'm not going out there and, 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 and digging giant ditches in this heat, which people are doing. And, and that's, I mean, that's, that's hard work, you know, and mandolins Mm -hmm. hard work in a different way. And I'm, you know, so thankful to every morning. I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe how lucky like <laughs> I am to, to yeah, be able to do this, yeah. you know? And, and yeah. that's the other thing too, that people always ask. I'm, you know, when people are, if I meet anybody who's like starting or, or I'm always like, just pick it up at even just 10 minutes a day. Cause usually if you pick it up, even with the goal of 10 minutes a day, it ends up being more than 10 minutes You know,
1: sure, man. Yeah. You
0: know, but even if it's just ten minutes a day, and you just focus for those ten minutes on one thing, and just be like, "All right, I'm just gonna pick up ten minutes a day and work on," you know, you know, the G major scale and two octaves. You know what I mean? Or just running scales for ten minutes. If you do that every day, pretty soon, that's just gonna fall in. You know, you're gonna you're gonna be comfortable and be like, "Oh, what else can I work on for ten minutes?" You know, I think people forget about the baby steps. You know. Chris Thiele started somewhere. <laughs>
1: you know. Yeah. Totally. You know,
0: and that's that's what you gotta do.
1: Um I heard like Mark Twain was famous for saying something like, you know, um, you know, any unmatchable test or any like um, you know, unaccomplishable goal is is just as simple as breaking it down into bright bite sized pieces and getting started with the first one, you know, it's like Yeah that's pretty much what everyone has to do whenever they're playing music yeah so how do you approach that was one of the questions
0: i actually have for you so if you're approaching um let's say i mean you obviously learn a lot of tunes from you post videos of so many of them if you're approaching a song or a project that you want to work on and learn what it, what's the steps that you take i guess to to you know work on a piece of music that you've wanted to learn
1: yeah, totally. Um, well, I, I try to keep a list going of things I want to work on. So if I ever like hear something at a concert or I listen to a record, I'll like jot it down on a note on my phone. So I just have a running list of things I want to keep getting better at. Um, and beyond that too, I also have like some lists of long-term goals that, you know, every year or so I'll sit down and um, see how I'm doing on like a, a five-year plan or a 10-year plan and I have a pretty extensive list of a lot of things I'd like to keep improving at. Um, you know, things like, you know, knowing the fretboard better or, um, solos, I'd like to transcribe tunes. I'd like to learn people. I'd like to play with, um, songs I'd write, I like to write, or, um, you know, tunes I'd like to write rather. And, um, so I, I, uh, I think that's one of the most important things just being goal oriented because otherwise you won't really have a way of measuring your, your progress forward. Um, and then I'll, I'll try to you know pick something like say if i'm i'm working on a mandolin monday video um, i'll try to you know learn the song you know if it's a fiddle tune i'll i think i did like one for garfield's blackberry blossom back in the day and oh, yeah. i yeah we're learning a couple different versions of the tune like i learned the way that Stuart duncan played it and then i also learned the way that adam steffi played it and just like also some some ways that I had played it before, just learned, hearing it in the jam, I guess, and um, combined some ideas from all three of those into my own version of it, um, and tried to, uh, you know, explore some variations, like learning the, the melody in different octaves, certain different parts of the neck, um, and bit by bit, just kind of piecing it together until I had, you know, uh, a version that I felt would be good to record. Um, but it's different for every everything i try to learn you know some things are an ongoing process like you said scales you know i guess you never really um necessarily master those you can always yeah. um, play them faster play them cleaner play them with different dynamics or mu- musicality um so I, I definitely work a lot on scales and, and technical aspects but probably more in context of tunes that i'm working on so if i'm if i sit down to practice fourth year or another fiddle tune like that i might use the scales or the arpeggios as a way of you know playing an exercise along to the chord changes in time with the music so you're playing like a a chord scale for every chord as it goes by or an arpeggio that corresponds to every chord yeah or um maybe even like a scale pattern i'm really big into those there's this cool book i think that jerry coker put out it's called patterns for jazz and um not just applicable for jazz it works for bluegrass too and um they have you know just hundreds of pages of these little melodic snippets that you can take through any major scale you want to and um and just learning a bunch of those has been a great way of expanding my personal vocabulary for when i improvise just kind of figuring out some some uh, pre-planned passages that i can connect melodic phrases together with who's um, the author of that but, book again i think it's called his name's jerry coker okay cool and um I think he's a, a saxophone player. Um, so that, that's a, that's a great resource. And, um, but yeah, I'm always, I think the, the two most things I try to practice are, are one is transcribing because, because I think you always expand your mind by learning what another player has done because you can always do what you've done before. You know, it's like trying to learn something new that someone else has played. Um, and there's so many great mandolin players to learn from too. Like if you if you transcribe an Adam Steffi solo note for note and then not, not stopping there, but actually playing along with him, um, at, you know, using uh, the amazing slow downer or oh, a program yeah. like that to change the tempo without changing the pitch, then you can play along with such a great player like that and absorb kind of through osmosis, the, um, the musical aspects of their playing, um, which in some ways is, the more the most important part you know it's not necessarily about the notes because you can play the same notes with a a different attitude and not sound as good as adam steffi yeah it's like yeah you're trying to really tap into what makes those players um them themselves and um you know picking up along the way their their you know tone their volume how loud they're playing and their phrasing um also just like trying to match the the cleanness of their playing too you know if you're playing along with the sam bush track to you're trying to like channel that raw energy that he gets rhythmically and um that's been like kind of the, the most uh transforming thing i've i've done over the past few years it took me a while to kind of get into it because i f- figured it was uh, uh too hard or you know something that i just didn't feel like was as enjoyable as learning tunes or something like that but I think learning solos is one of the best things you can do. Cause you get the, the most bang for your buck. Yeah, so man, um, dude, I
0: have a Spotify playlist, like a mile long, like anytime, like you were saying, like you put on a phone, like anytime I hear anything, I just like, Oh my God, I got to work on that solo and just put the song on this list. It, I, it's gotta be like 60 songs at this point of just, it, it could be anything from, you know, like something off, you know, your album or, or Charlie Parker, perhaps I've been working on sure. transcribing that. I just, just got the transcript, like finally put it all into like a computer. I downloaded MuseScore, which is like an open source yeah. thing. I'm like, all right, I got to learn how to, you know, I am unschooled as far as as writing music down goes, you know, and so it's it was awesome to spend like three and a half hours trying to put a triplet in there so it sounded right, you know, and it back, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> that's how nice. it sounds, you know, so
1: totally
0: totally so speaking of killer licks man let's let's get to your um your album here the golden angle which um and and I had your first record as well the uh from the true north am i saying that right into the true north oh
1: oh into the true country into yeah. true
0: country sorry yeah and uh, man the first thing i noticed is that the two things i noticed on this new album was like the maturity of like the songwriting i mean your first your, your first album was great and, and and but like but all of a sudden I'm like wow I listen to the, to these arrangements and then by the time I just got to like the, the second track the like high step and Jesse and that solo and that part of the confidence and the looseness I, I guess the way you just kind of cut loose on that solo and and then throughout the whole album like that is is really impressive man. How did you approach writing this the, the new record
1: yeah um i think it, i got maybe uh, an itch to do another recording at the beginning of 2017 and um it took a, a couple of years to all fall into place but that was when i started writing I first i just first moved to, to boston and um was feeling pretty inspired getting to play with mile 12 more and meeting a bunch of the, the great musicians up here in the northeast too um so i, I started like kind of noodling around at things and I um, I guess the title track was one of the first ones that I, I started playing and um, it took me kind of a while to, to work out. Sometimes like tunes come out in, a, in one sitting you know you just sit down for an hour or so and then you have a tune. I think that first track Door Go is one of those where I sat down and I was like I want to write a tune and that. But then, you know, sometimes like the Golden Angle is like you have a really good idea and you want to make sure that it it gets fleshed out properly so you you let it stew for a while and revisit it every few days until finally something happens. So you're like, oh yeah, that could work. of those kind of intentional um you know sit downs where you have to be like okay let's see what happens today someone told me that songwriting is like going fishing you know you have to you have to go out to the the pond and fish for a while and some days <laughs> right. you may not catch anything but you have to actually go to the pond to see if you'll actually catch anything so oh, yeah, that's a great analogy um, yeah so you know just sitting down and um i remember reading there's a blog by this great guitar player julian lodge he's another one of my heroes
0: oh my god that guy is unbelievable (laughs) yeah
1: yeah he's incredible um and he has his blog i don't know if you can really find it anymore but um it was called write music now like w-r-i-t-e write music or no sorry it's music right now that makes more sense right (laughs) um and it was just uh a catalog of his experience teaching at berkeley for a season and um he taught a class on composition and had all these great ideas on i think he called them writing incentives like kind of challenges that um would encourage you to sit down and and write something and maybe write it in a different fashion than what you're used to so one of his challenges was to write a new composition every day like for 30 days so at the end you'd hopefully have 30 tunes and the idea is that you know like every tune you write may not be the best tune but hopefully if you write like 10 tunes there might be one or two gems in there so yeah if you write 30 tunes you might have you know a whole album's worth of of good tunes and a bunch of kind of mediocre tunes <laughs> yeah, right, in right, the right. leads there um so I, I did stuff like that and um also like doing stuff like setting a timer for 30 minutes to be helpful just so you're not um swept away and in and, and the you know the uh the muse so to speak or you're not swept away like just wasting time not getting anything actually written so having a, a limitation like that can really help inspire you just to feel free to write something um and in the moment you know you know you may not think that it sounds good but just like the act of writing something um you can't really tell at the beginning if it's going to sound good you just kind of have to do it and then at the end that's when you kind of step back and see, Oh yeah, maybe this is pretty good after all.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. So how fleshed out, um, you know, when you go into like the session and you have some amazing players on the session with you, uh, how fleshed out are some of those? Are they, are they kind of all in your head already? How you kind of want to hear it or, or do you kind of go in there and, and, you know, give just kind of give them the ideas ahead of time or how does that work out for you?
1: Yeah, totally. Um, i i mostly had things thought out i think um and over this this record was a little bit different because we did it in two sessions which was fun getting to work with some uh different musicians for each and the first session was i guess it was the, the winter of 2017 it was like in december and um wait is that right it might be 20 yeah 2017 and then we, uh, we tracked six tunes over a three-day period. Got to work with Missy again, and her husband is a great sound engineer. We did it at their studio, and he tracked um, the whole record for us. Um, and for that first session, it was, it was also like Stuart Duncan and <laughs> Wes Corbett. Ross yeah. Martin was playing guitar again. Wow. Matt Flinner was kind enough to join us as producer for for that record, too. And uh, it was great having him in the studio just to kind of you know help uh direct things and help um help us all sound really good and um yeah so i think when i went in i had the six tunes like already written for the most part and um i had you know written down ideas for arrangements as well i think i actually like wrote down you know like a section b section mandolin plays melody you know like the next thing maybe guitar solo the next thing fiddle solo yeah um and then we had an opportunity in the studio just to to play it. I'd send out you know demo recordings to to the musicians ahead of time, just so they could learn the structure of the songs. And then we would you know sit together and play it for the first time, and, and then kind of get get the sense um, of how things should go pretty quickly. Especially playing with such great musicians, you know, they pick things up so fast. And it's like, oh yeah, maybe maybe the fiddle solo will be better over there. Um, You know, this is a high energy part, you know, probably needs some some banjo there. Um, And it was great having, um, uh, you know, Wes was also a producer. He added some great ideas. And um, for the the other session we did, which was in June 2018, we had David Greer playing guitar and he um, offered some cool ideas on that High Step and Jesse team that helped kind of shaped the, the direction for that, oh, for that nice. piece as well. So everyone, you know, was really thoughtful and helpful. Yeah, and, that's so great. Cr- uh, yeah, It's amazing. Yeah, Again, going, it's back collaborative to, process. Yeah,
0: going back to the thoughtful generosity of the people in the community, <laughs> you know. Um, is there any one song on there that where you, you know, you wrote it, you got the mandolin parts and then, you, you know, you go in and at the end of the day, you're listening back and you're like, holy cow, that this is beyond what you expected
1: yeah totally um i uh there's a few ones that was like kind of fun to see take shape like um a few ones that i was um a little unsure about at the beginning i wrote that tune eight is my favorite color which yeah is kind that's of a, a great title phrase. that's great though um, <laughs> i think it, i don't even remember the context but it was something that one of my bandmates said and i was like that would probably be a good tune name <laughs> and um it's such a silly phrase and it's a really silly tune so it felt like it, it kind of fit but it was more of a swing or kind of a strange strange fiddle tune the melody is so chromatic and it doesn't really land anywhere that well um and i i wasn't exactly sure what that would sound like as the band but i figured like if anyone could do it um mike barnett could you know really crush it on the fiddle and and David Greer could do it on the guitar, so I was kind of writing that with them in mind, and um, they really took it to the next level. It was pretty cool to hear them do that. Um. in the first session as well that really took shape i thought the red room was was really nice that was like one of the first ones we did for the record and um also the there's a the tune leaf by niggle as well which yeah i was kind of one that i'd been beating my head against the wall for a while and hadn't really come up with a good arrangement or also like i was still like noodling around with different variations on the b part for um a long time like even the night before we recorded it, I was like, "Okay, we well, finally decided <laughs> let's do it this way," um, and it ended up all working out pretty well in the end. So it's pretty pretty special.
0: And then you had a couple a couple of these songs actually charted, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. So. Um, there's this chart on the website called Bluegrass Today where this one, uh, I think it was Lawnmower, so like the really fast kind yeah. of bluegrass tune got on there. And yeah, that, that was that's a funny tune as well. I named it Lawnmower because um, there's a, a track on that record drive that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, by Bela Fleck. It's the first one is called Whitewater. Yeah. It's, it's a really fast banjo tune. And apparently, back in the day before the record was released, they called the tune Lawnmower. And then I guess Bela changed the name later on. So I figured I'd write like a, a tempo banjo tune and call it Lawnmower. And I, the funny thing was, there wasn't actually a banjo on my, my recording. So I was <laughs> like, if Bela wants to come track banjo later, you know, yeah.
0: Can do that. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. And then, and then speaking of charting, obviously the, the new album by mile 12 as well. Um, you guys had rocket man, which, um, is not on the album, but you guys, that got a lot of play. That got picked up all over the place. It seemed like every, every time I looked on the internet, I'm like, Holy cow, this is so great. Uh, And you know,
1: yeah. Kind of stumbled into that. We, um, just started doing that for fun and it accidentally like became one of the most popular things that we do. Um, but, uh, Yeah, we did like a a studio recording of that and released it as a single and -hmm. um, did a video as well and people always seem to request that whenever we're playing.
0: And then this new album, you said Brian Sutton, Brian Sutton was the, uh, the producer and the engineer on this one, or maybe not engineer, but producer.
1: Yeah. He produced, um, we were in the studio with him and, and we also worked with Ben Surratt, Missy Raines, husband. husband, again, at the same studio. And, um, uh, we were there for about nine days, I think at the the beginning of December last year. And we just kind of knocked out the whole project in one sitting. Um, And yeah, it feels like kind of a a really great next step for the band. We've only had two records so far, and the first record was, you know, kind of just an exploration of a lot of different things. We're kind of all getting our, uh, you know, feet on the ground, so to speak, with, um, you know, our songwriting and arranging and playing. And I think this record feels a lot more cohesive than the first one does. Just, yeah, I think that's all on the same page, writing and, and sound wise and the, the record kind of from start to finish um, feels like it has, has a better storyline than the first one does but I'm still really proud of that one too but more uh, stoked to, to have this new one out.
0: Yeah, I bet. And then again, the, the incredible accolades that you guys are getting are well-deserved. So congratulations on that as well.
1: Well, thanks, man.
0: So in, in mandolin nerdiness, do you want to talk a little bit about your gear?
1: Sure, yeah. So I have a, an Apidius Vanguard F5 mandolin built by Oliver Apideus back in 2016. And um, I've had it for, I guess, about three years now. And um, and it's been my main instrument since then. Um, been really enjoying playing it on the road and i feel like it's changed a lot since i've gotten it um she says the instrument has aged and you know gotten played in um has a certain kind of focus to the sound which works really well in a band setting just kind of cuts through and um and has a, a really nice volume to compete with the, the banjo and the fiddle and, and the bluegrass setting
0: yeah i actually um, saw it i saw david in in ross trevor in northern ireland the end of June and actually got to play the mandolin a little bit too. And it it sounded great with this room with pretty much zero amplification. And yeah, it cut through it, man, great sound of mandolin.
1: Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Um, And as far as like other gear, I, um, I use some, some of those accessories like have the tone guard on the back of my instrument Mm -hmm. just to make the, the mandolin sound a little bit louder. So it's not muffled against my, clothes right and then i've got like an armrest built by this guy named dan Voigt, who's also a great mandolin luthier and from michigan great instruments uh which is no, where i'm from. from
0: isn't he initially I think from he, flint oh, michigan he era
1: he was from michigan he yeah he's in, in nashville yeah now, nashville
0: now um yeah he was uh he's from flint michigan i think when he was like younger um when i was first starting to play mandolin i think oh, we, were, cool. we were like my space friends <laughs>
1: oh wow yeah that's the OG Facebook, that's, so cool. <laughs> that's
0: right. <laughs>
1: um, and then I've got, uh, usually got D area strings on there. I use the EXPs custom medium set, which I've been liking. And then I use a weekend pick. It's like TF 140, I think, 1.4 millimeters. Um, but I don't. I usually plug in. I do have a, I do have a pickup on the instruments, like a K and K Pure C the k-k like in-house mandolin pickups Forget what the name of it is the twin
0: the k-k twin
1: yeah that's it yeah and um which i love i have the same in. thing
0: it sounds so natural as natural yeah, as you yeah. can i think as natural as you can get a mandolin to sound plugged in anyway
1: totally totally we um sometimes very rarely we'll plug in with the with the band and when we do all of us have um pickups we blend with this really cool preamp. It's called the Grace Felix. Oh yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of like a uh, state of the art kind of thing at the minute where it's, you can, you know, blend a mic signal with a pickup into the same box and then you can EQ it before sending it out to the board. So you have a lot of control of your own sound and have a boost pedal on there as well for solos. But I none of us really love plugging in that much in the band. So we, we try to keep it to, to microphones just because we can have the ability to mix ourselves so to speak sure or, you know stepping off the mic when you're not playing a solo and right you're right. taking a solo doing fills you can really get up on there and um gives us a little bit more control as a band um not touring with a, a sound person where um you know we can be a little bit more um i don't know a little bit more and control uh, for the show, you know, working with a different person every night for sound. Sure. Do you, Um. what type of mic do you use
0: when you, uh, when you use it live?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We've got all our own mics. I have uh, a Neumann mic. It's, um. I think it's a KM 184. Okay. Yep. Is
0: that right? yep. 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 Um,
1: and it's one of the newer ones. It's not a vintage. We were actually uh, doing some stuff last night and uh, Joe has a vintage, a mic of the same same build and um i guess there's supposed to be a difference between the two but we were like having a hard time distinguishing the two. So oh, no kidding it does the job pretty well
0: so let's see here i don't want to take you too much longer again i know you're at this camp and i appreciate so much of the time you took um what's what's next for you
1: yeah so um we're mostly just doing stuff with the with mile 12 here this is the really busy touring season um of the year for us really um we're headed to france tomorrow for a couple weeks doing some festivals out there and um and then we come back to do some things in canada and some things in colorado and the midwest and then we're all kind of gearing up for ibma too in september excited to hear about those you know final awards um for this last ballot yeah got our fingers crossed there um but yeah, I think we're all, you know, uh, looking forward ahead to the next record and to, you know, what we'll be doing, uh, in the next few years here. And, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to, to see how it all comes together. Um, That's awesome. I guess man. like as soon as you put out a new record, you gotta, you know, start thinking about the next one. Yeah, exactly. Like the main engine that, you know, helps, you know, uh, produce press and, and, uh, help book things and arrange stores and all that. So it's. all about you know making new music and um so one of the things i'm
0: we we talked about earlier was the 10 minutes a day is kind of like what i tell people so if you were to give somebody advice just today just off the top of your head we're like "Ah, what if, if i had 10 minutes for the next week to just pick up a mandolin what is something that you would recommend that you or maybe even you would work on if you had 10 minutes today and you're like oh okay i'm gonna i have 10 minutes to play because of traveling or whatever what would you work on
1: yeah, I'd probably work on the improvisation. So, you know, maybe taking a tune that you know and and trying to, you know, either learn a solo that someone else has done and extrapolate ideas from that or you know, try to come up with your own licks and, um, you know, just try to do stuff in the moment too, either from a backing track or just listening to a metronome, but trying to keep in mind those chords, you know, I think that's the, the big thing that everyone's trying to do more is just be mindful of the changes and, keep the structure of the song in your head all at once so you can have the freedom to express yourself musically, but
0: that's, awesome. that's what I would do. That's awesome. And, and, and now the podcast is called Mandolins and Beer. So do you, uh, do you, do you imbibe in any beers ever? And do you have a, a, a particular favorite?
1: Uh, yeah, we, um, well, we usually like try to see whatever's local. Um, and you know, whenever we're rolling it through town for a show, see see what we can muster up. And we found recently on a tour down to Florida, this beer called, I think it's High by the Cigar Brewing Company. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think it might be based in Asheville now. I think they may have moved. But, oh, um, nice. That's a really good in, Indian pale ale uh, that we've been enjoying recently. Well, David,
0: I... I can't thank you enough, man. I really appreciate yeah, it. Especially, you're at a camp. You're getting ready to leave for France, and that you took the time to, uh, to do this today is 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 awesome, man. And I, I wish you all the success. And you've earned everything you've gotten so far. And I'm just, you, man, the future's looking just awesome for you. So, thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thanks so much, Daniel. Appreciate it. Thanks for doing this podcast. It's Absolutely,
0: man. Thank you, and thank you for the Mandolin Mondays.
1: Oh, sure thing, man. Yeah.